0: When you're in your car and you're listening to that podcast, you're not really thinking about the fact that people are real and accessible on the other end. Maybe you've reached out and you've gotten uh, contact with an investment counselor. Again, they I wouldn't say they have star persona, but they're really not these tangible, real people. When you go to these events, all of these people become real. You get to look them in the eye and shake their hand, and then you're surrounded by like people that have a passion for real estate, and it all becomes more real, and it creates a sense of community. And so I I would really strongly encourage people that have more than a casual interest about real estate that are wanting to do more than just be that passive investor through their investment counselor. And like you said, that's great if you're doing that, but if you have an interest to do more, I really do strongly encourage people to, to come out and be in person. The experience is very different from when you're listening on the podcast and when you're in person hearing the conversations.
1: tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors.
2: Welcome to the
3: Creating Wealth Show, episode 1,157, 1157. Today, we have a wrap-up from Saturday at Meet the Masters of Income Property.
4: You know, Saturday was such an action-packed day. Uh, It always is. Saturday is the busiest day and, frankly, the most stressful day for me. And Sunday gets kind of relaxed and it just has a good feel. But I think everybody really enjoyed uh, the tax strategies, the uh, local market specialist panels, the lender panels, the uh, portfolio wealth building simulation Uh, We had George Gilder come up and do a little teaser talk as he talked about information economics. And that was such an interesting theory, you know, that basically says that when we lived in caves, when our ancestors lived in caves, you know, they had the same resources that we have today. The only thing that changed life was the knowledge that we created uh, and used uh, to just advance civilization. And so I love that one. And then Patrick did a great uh, presentation on uh, banking and how to basically lend money to yourself, a really good strategy. And um, we did more on financing. And then, hey, the concert with the Rod Stewart Tribute Band, that was awesome. I had so much fun, and so many other people said it's the funnest they've had in a decade. It's definitely the funnest I had since last year when we had a Journey Tribute Band. So, yeah, I love that. That was really fun.
5: I own four income properties right now. My goal number is probably close to 100. I just quit my job, so I'm trying to replace the income that I'm not getting anymore. I decided to come to meet the masters because I was interested in learning about other markets and financing possibilities and options. I'm looking forward to hearing Tom Wheelwright. I'm tired of paying taxes. I live in Los Angeles, and we get slammed on everything, and I think anything helps at this point. People should come to events like this because you don't know what you don't know. The possibilities in real estate are endless, and you can go so many ways with it that you should just look at your options that are out there. If someone told me that they didn't want to invest in real estate, I would tell them that they should just do it and try it, see what happens. You really don't have anything to lose. This is Lisa, and you're listening to The Creating Wealth Show.
2: This 2017 tax law that came into effect, which is just really applying this year to your tax returns for the first time, is a fascinating tax law because it completely changed the way taxes are assessed. It, completely, it changed the whole tax system. It used to be we think of the, 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 the tax system as an income tax. In other words, it's a tax on net income. What happened in this new law is that it fundamentally changed from an income tax to a consumption tax. should write that down. The tax law fundamentally changed from an income tax to a consumption tax. Here's why. If you look over here, Here's the producers, and on this side are the consumers. The producers include anybody that does business, real estate, or commodities. Right? They're producing agriculture, energy, uh, buildings like this one, businesses. These are the producers. Over here on this side, We have the consumers. We tend to call them employees. They're the consumers of the world. In fact, um, now, the law has always favored these people. In fact, so much so that, I don't know if you remember, there was a presidential election a couple of years ago. Anybody remember that? A couple of interesting candidates. And um, those candidates uh, had a debate and this was the most important debate because it was about taxes, which is the most important subject in the world. And anyway, let's just watch it. Here's what they, here, here's what happened.
0: Or maybe he doesn't want the American people, all of you watching tonight, to know that he's paid nothing in federal taxes because the only years that anybody's ever seen were a couple of years when he had to turn them over to state authorities when he was trying to get a casino license and they showed he didn't pay any federal income tax, so that makes if he's smart. paid zero, bless his heart.
2: I'm watching this and I'm going, well, duh. Here's the difference. Here's Clinton, always been an employee, self-employed, you know, employ- uh, a lawyer, right? And here's Trump. I did a bunch of interviews during the during this. Um, And I explained that basically, he would have had the dumbest tax advisors in the world to pay any tax because of all the real estate he owned, all the real estate and the debt. So return on amortization,
4: that is the big boring idea. What do you think? All right, pretty good, huh? Pretty simple, nothing crazy about this. how many people have been investing with us for more than five years? Uh, Maybe 20% of the room, okay. So if you get to that five year point, let's look at that. Five years, you have added to your return on amortization. And if you had a problem with your property and a setback and a bump in the road where your property manager did something wrong, which is entirely likely, or uh, you know the tenant did something bad, which is also entirely likely, you're just about to really hit the stride. You know If you bought a rental property 10 years ago and you're thinking this property is just kind of annoying, you gotta look at the rest of the iceberg that's under the water. You're getting a bunch of return on amortization that you probably haven't even considered, okay? And if you've owned property for longer than that, that return on amortization is adding a giant amount to your return. And remember, you know, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not that excited about this. But think about the stock market people, right? They say, well, you know, the S and P, we can get you eight percent consistently over time, right? Look at how much real estate just totally beats it. The income property just blows it away. It's incredibly impressive uh, that return on amortization that adds to your return. What are you know some of the distinctions that investors should know about financing versus you know getting a mortgage on your own home? It's a specialty, right? And uh, I, you guys all kind of specialize in the investor side of the business. So I just thought I'd have you address some of that. Uh,
6: really, there's a really not that much of a difference, in my opinion. Uh, as a conventional lenders, we all three look at three categories. What your credit is, how much money you make, and how much money you have. It really boils down to that, not only in the owner-occupied side, but on the non owner occupied side. Yeah, there's a couple of things that we look at over and beyond, especially if you have real estate. We take a look at your REO and there's a mathematical formula that we go through for Fannie Mae. REO means
4: the schedule of real estate. Schedule of real yeah. estate.
6: Sorry, it's on schedule. You schedule of real estate. And uh, so we take a look at that to see how much you've written off for the year. A lot of times we can back into it depending on when you bought that property. And that's where some of the specialty uh, comes into play, especially with the underwriters.
4: Is anybody getting adjustable rate mortgages nowadays? How much of that is going on in the marketplace?
6: I don't see a lot of adjustable rate mortgages as it relates to the turnkey investment property financing at the price points that you guys are looking at. There are loan level price adjustments for the fact that it's an investment property. And the margins on the arms versus the margins on the fixed rates from from the agencies, from Fannie and Freddie, are the same adjustments. But there isn't enough of a margin paid on the arm like there is on the fixed rate to give you any real advantage with an arm product on an investment property. Uh, We will see uh, adjustable rate mortgages in the portfolio product that I mentioned earlier, the, the 10 plus A lot of those guys will put that into an ARM product, 7 or 10-year ARM or a 5-year ARM. Um, But we will see a lot of ARM products on your primary home residences. Okay, but not on
4: investment properties?
6: Yeah, and on jumbo primary particularly.
4: Is there even an interest-only loan anymore or an A-GAM? Is that totally gone?
6: On the the portfolio side. You'll see an interest
4: only on the jumbo money,
6: you know. I'm sure Wells has interest-only products and interest-only arms, Chase, you know, big retail. Not um, investor type. Well. Not no. really an investor. But not, an not on investment. Portfolio. Primary homes. Yeah, you primary Yeah. I
4: think the question really is, what do your rehabs include? I mean, are they? do they get new mechanical items? Do they get, you know, do you, do you say that if that mechanical's got, you know, if that water heater's Five years old, do you replace it? You know, this is going to be different for everybody. and that's It, the it seems point. pretty
7: standard. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been, I know most of these folks okay. and what they provide. And, and, you know, there's a reason we provide two inspection reports with okay. each house. Um, we want you to see those things. And we always encourage you to get your own inspection. But, you know, I, I, I think the minimum rule of thumb that I've seen across the board is is if an item has five years of life or less left in it, it, I, most of these guys replace it, and so sure we're not all. Building so, what does five
4: years or life left in it mean? How do we know yeah. that?
7: <laughs> you you know? can't. Yeah. I mean,
4: you know. Well, do you know how old the item is before you decide whether or not you're going to replace it or not? Ninety
7: percent of the time, you you can discover that info okay. you know, on an HVAC system, but certain things you can't. Um, you know, plumbing, electric, you can't always see that, uh-huh. and, a, and a roof you can get a good guesstimate at. Okay, um, but. I think it comes down to yes, trust, but also those inspections are so key, and I and I feel like we have built that into the maintenance on on the. So,
4: what do you say your maintenance percentage is on the performa? I think what we have four or five. Four or five yeah. percent. How old's the house they're buying?
7: Well, our our average home is nineteen eighties, late nineteen. Okay, so it's an
4: eighties house, and you put four or five percent on the performa as maintenance cost, and um, on your rehabs. Would you just address that? Like, what are you replacing, uh, you know, on each item? Like, uh, again, you said, a certain number of years of life.
7: Yeah, <laughs> so, so especially the, the main systems, the roofs, the HVACs, the plumbings, um, we, it's a minimum of five years of life. Uh, left or um, or it gets replaced. And and keep in mind, these contractors make money by telling me it has less than five years to get it uh, replaced. So if they want to So do they it, have an
4: incentive to tell you correct. to spend We don't that. argue.
7: Right. And yeah. then uh, our third-party inspectors. If a third-party inspector says that it has five years of mm-hmm. life or less uh, less in it, right. we don't argue. We, we replace it. And so, you know, when you see our in- inspection reports, you know, sometimes they're embarrassing because, you know, they're that thick. Yeah. But that's what we want to discover.
4: Okay. All right. So anyone else want to take a stab at that kind of uh, question and those thoughts? And we'll get more questions. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll just No, no let him, or, Okay. No, go ahead.
7: No,
3: you go. Go ahead. I'll just say something real quick. If, if I were to own keep a property, I would defer all the maintenance that I could. Um, but it, the question is, like Jason said, what's in the rehab? Did you
4: say would or wouldn't? If
3: way? I were keeping it, okay. I defer as much as I can. You would defer as much I I would as defer as much as I can. Okay. If I've got five years left on a roof, I'm... I'm keeping that roof for you five years. You want to
0: minutes. squeeze it. Okay. But yeah.
3: selling to you guys out there, being two, 3,000 miles away, wherever, you guys can't afford to have that happen. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. It's what's in the rehab. <clears throat> new roof, new HVAT, new water heater, new appliances. Those are the big things.
8: I have a whole presentation okay. I give, 45 minutes to an hour, trying to uh, educate investors that buy from me. Um, you know, how to, make good, how to make good decisions when they're purchasing a, a single-family rental property. And I think it, it comes down to, it boils down to four rights. You have to have the right property. It has to be in the right area. and You give it the right rehab and then have the right team manage that property. Um, a rental property can be a passive investment for you if you have somebody that works very actively on it. Real estate in and of itself, I don't believe, is a passive investment
4: I unless you have that. I agree completely. <laughs> it's not passive. So yeah. it takes
8: a lot of work for somebody, and it boils down to your property manager. But your property manager uh, is stuck if he gets handed the wrong property in the wrong area that had the wrong rehab, even if he's the right team. So you have to start with the four rights, and then it goes from there. And the person selling you the property, they can give you a scope of work. They can give you um, pictures of all the equipment that went into the home. They can tell you exactly what they did and did not do. And you need to analyze all of that before you make a decision, just like you make any purchase. And um, we always provide a a self-inspection that we do at the end of the rehab, a guy on my staff, quality control. We pay for our own independent inspection because we don't want to have any last-minute things come up when you have your inspection. And uh, I highly recommend that you get property inspections and don't just let us hand you what we think is, here's your inspection. You never know.
3: These were the five factors that he identified. What will drive a real estate market without all speculation, but for real methodical ways up, is economic growth, population growth, affordability, desirability, and healthy supply and demand. Now, if you can get at least three, you can probably get pretty good results. But if you can't get that, you're not. And if you can get all five, man, that's good. And let me tell you, that's very, very hard to find. But that's what brought me to Northeast Florida. That's what brought me to um, Bakersfield in the beginning with. And again, Johnny Carson made fun of it, but it had a really nice run. One of the key things here that takes New York, San Francisco, Orange County out of the equation is the one right in the middle, right? Affordability just shoots down cash flow. But if you can get all those other things around it, that's the key. And that's what I was learned to, to look for. It, but you had to go into markets that had these. So going to Northeast Florida almost 15 years ago, we grew in Northeast Florida to Jacksonville, west into Ocala, and then into a section of southwest Florida called Punta Gorda. All based off of that five things I wanted to look for. Of course, it had to have cash flow, but I wanted to have those five factors. So just, we'll go through Jacksonville. In the last two to three years, these are some of the rankings. And just remember those five steps that we just talked about that Jacksonville has had. Markets to watch, markets to watch, developing an economic culture, fastest growing city, best city for jobs, no state, young, educated workforce. I used to joke that when I left California, I saved 10% on my money. And again, I think it was Kevin. He said, oh, no, you're saving 13.2% of your money. I didn't even follow that your state income tax has gone up, but it has. So that was another nice thing. Number four for rent-to-income ratio. Best city to find work. Jobs bring rents, ability to pay higher rents, right? Top 10 for logistics infrastructure. Best U.S. city to start a business. These are some of the fundamentals of Jacksonville, which is why I went there. And again, I'm not a data expert. But one of my mentors said to me, actually that I met through Tom and a few other people, was, follow the baby boomer migration. Where are the baby boomers going? They control a massive, massive amount of money. And it's only gonna grow from there. So in 2005, when I was looking around, it wasn't that hard. You didn't have to be a research expert to go, where are the baby boomers going when they retire? I mean, everyone watched Seinfeld. We all know they go to Florida.